Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. It's Fightaway Cricket Podcast, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Uh, later in the show today, we have an interview with Daniel Weston. That may not be a name that necessarily jumps off the page at you, but believe me when I say he has got a story to tell. He's been the brains and the energy behind the European Cricket League and the European Cricket Network, the league's running at the moment. He's had a massive say in how German cricket has evolved uh, in the last six or seven years as well. And Germany, of course, have been playing uh, in the T20 World Cup qualifier this week, which is uh, a remarkable achievement uh, for German cricket. So we thought it'd be a good week to get Daniel on the show to share with us his quite incredible story. Uh, before getting to that, we've got T20s finishing up between Australia and Sri Lanka. James Faulkner, hmm, we'll go into that in great detail. Uh, the Ranji Trophy's had a lot going on in a week where the Indian selectors have swung the axe, getting rid of a, a number of senior players. There was a brisk but noteworthy test match played at Christchurch between New Zealand and South Africa and a number of women's one-day internationals in the build-up to the one-day World Cup as well. I'm Adam Collins and with me I have Jeff Lemon, uh, who would have been watching uh, those uh, T20s that Australia were playing against Sri Lanka, uh, but I suppose, uh, like me, you are fairly glad that there is at least a little bit of a break in the schedule now before we take <laughs> off for Pakistan next week. Well, I, I was watching them, but I wasn't working on them, so that was a nice change of pace to just watch the game and not actually have to do anything um, when it came to it. And, and the last one was quite entertaining when the, the Sri Lankans got up and, and got themselves a win. Um, Kusal Mendes back in the team, that helps a lot the the most talented Sri Lankan with the bat in the current generation. Uh, we'd remember him from that remarkable 100 that he made uh, in Candy back in 2016 in the second innings when Sri Lanka were stuffed in that test match and he came back and rescued it for them. But um, but there he was doing the business uh, in, in that final run chase and getting them over the line. 
Just 14,000 people at the G on Friday night. Uh, we, we talked the previous week about the attendances at Sydney, but yeah, it does sharpen that focus. There was a stat doing the rounds that in the corresponding T20 international between Australia and Sri Lanka five years ago, 43,000 people were there. And look, I know that's that's not just about the form of the game and, and the and the opposition. It's also to do with COVID. But still, that's a stark drop off. And, and it has prompted a bit of conversation about where these games you know could be played theoretically. I'd jokingly popped up my article uh, from The Guardian a couple of years ago saying they should uh, turn Princess Park back into a, a, an AFL ground again. Well, maybe that could host a couple of T20s uh, or, or something <laughs> like that. Or maybe the regional and rural grounds um, that they've looked at uh, a couple of times for... Um, for Shield Cricket. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that Maxi was a player of the series and at one stage I think they were 4-0 up and Maxi had been quite important in a couple of those. And as you say, Cushal Mendes uh, back in the team, 69 not out in the final T20. They chased down 155 with a couple of balls to go. Dasson Shanika, uh, the captain, was doing well in support, making 35 not out. And yeah, that's it for the Australian summer. So I know we roll straight into another season, like the autumn season with the... Uh, the Women's World Cup in New Zealand and, and our trip to Pakistan, but um, that was a very long international summer. Maybe if they want people to go, they should play test matches in February. Maybe that would work. Maybe there'd be more more of a draw, I suppose. But um, yeah, this this felt like the most after, afterthought of afterthought sort of series. Um, the only thing that it has achieved is uh, increased scrutiny on Aaron Finch as the captain of that white ball team because um, decreasing returns with the bat over, over a a longish period of time but I'm never sure I don't think you can gauge too much from a T20 series like most players in T20 cricket are they're only going to succeed one time out of a few and so it's pretty easy to go through a five match series without a major score yeah, yeah, that's right. And look, they've named their next white ball squad that'll go to Pakistan after the test matches and Finch is still the captain. And I don't I can't fathom a scenario where they'll where they'll make a, a change before the, the home World Cup in October. But yeah, he's reaching that stage of his career when I mean I, I suppose it's, there's there is some um, there are some similarities to Owen Morgan that he's seen as such an important presence in that dressing room that he can absorb a, a, a longer run of low scores. And he's done so before we go back to before the 2019 World Cup when he was really battling and nearly lost his place and ended up being one of the, the highest scorers in the tournament. So he can turn it on when it matters most. And he is the, the current uh, captain of the, the world champion team, let's not forget. And that squad, by the way, the white ball squad, they're resting a number of the fast bowlers. They're resting Dave Warner uh, and Glenn Maxwell isn't available. He's on leave to get married. So it's not quite a full strength team that'll play those one day as part of the World Cup Super League. And I think there's one T20 on the back, but yeah, it's only four white ball games, which in modern parlance, that's quite a short white ball tour. Mm, I do just wonder though. I just wonder because it's not like it's a team that's without leadership options. And if you're looking at that World Cup in October, I mean, you'll have Steve Smith in that team. You'll have Pat Cummins in that team, Glenn Maxwell's captain, the Stars, Matthew Wade's captain, the T20 Australian team before, Stoinis is there who could do a job and, and if they're trying to pack more destructive power into that middle order, then Stoinis opening is something that's worked really well in, in big bash cricket. So there are lots of options. It's not it's not like some teams at, at other periods where they don't really have a another viable leadership candidate. They've got plenty. So one to watch, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose that, that, that point about Stoinis, the fact that he's gone to become a really good finisher, they might be reluctant to tamper with that. 
Yeah, interesting. I suppose Smith might be the one who's in the gun for a spot in that T20 team by the time we reach October, given that he won't be getting quite the same domestic experience, the IPL and all the rest of it. I mean, I know he'll get he'll get game time, but he's not as mm. integral uh, to these teams that he once was. So there'll be quite a lot of T20 cricket for Australia between now and then. One player who will not be part of it is James Faulkner. No. As, uh, that's a, this was a, a very weird sequence of events. He, he um, got out ahead of this by putting out a statement and by this I mean him leaving the PSL uh, and the statement took no prisoners very strong language saying that he hadn't been paid effectively by the PCB for his participation in the PSL the PCB immediately pushed back and said well actually he has they briefed back and said that uh, he'd had the money sent to one bank account and Faulkner didn't want it sent to that bank account he wanted it sent wanted it sent somewhere else and there was also some confusion clearly there and then there was a subsequent story about his helmet and bat ending up in the chandelier of the team hotel and some photos of that allegedly uh, his bat and, and, and helmet I haven't seen that confirmed but it, it looked fairly damning and that was the note that he left Pakistan on Dan Brady wrote a great piece about um, about Faulkner yesterday for the age just reminding us all that he's only 31 and as a number of people pointed out on Twitter he's, he's actually younger than Marcus Stoinis and all of that success with ball and bat I mean the fact that he was player of the World Cup in 2015 at age 24 um, you know but then I suppose we don't quite process as you know as people watching it but not knowing every last detail just how bad his knees were uh, and how that stopped him playing red ball cricket and you know how close he was to being Watto's successor we go back to the 13-14 series he was 12th man throughout that whitewash and there, there were many people calling for him to be given an extended run in the test team after his debut at the end of the 2013 series and yeah, it just didn't quite happen for him, and, and now his career is probably over. Well, probably over in the in the bigger leagues anyway. Um, although there might be some of the secondary ones, but T Twenty leagues haven't been too worried about player behaviour in the past. I'll, I'll put it that way. So, um, if if they think they can get value out of him, they might. But it's it's also, I mean, surely this story is possible to verify whether he got paid or not because. Yeah. The, P, the PCB statement was pretty passive aggressive as well. They were they were they were throwing in lines about him having disputes with security at the airport or something like. Yeah. How, how would they even know that? And that felt like briefing, you know, like trying to colour the story a particular way as well. So I, I don't know. I think I think there's a bit to unpick with what actually happened before coming to any conclusion on it. Yeah, I'm sure that's the case. I'm not. I'm not sort of rushing to judgment, but it just stinks, right? Like the whole thing stinks, and I think the perception that he's a problem. I mean, yeah. you know, you can go back to that Hurricanes blow up last year when he went on um, went on SEM with Tim Payne, and you know, again, that was kind of taking no prisoners and types of words he was using there. He was he was looking to go out in a blaze of glory as far as the Big Bash was concerned. So you kind of start to reach a point where you're running out of leagues as well. Not mm. to say that Pakistan and, and the BBL are the only options for a player of Faulkner's talent, but, you know, with those aforementioned knee injuries, not getting the chance to be in the shot window quite as often. Uh, so, yeah, there'll be maybe a career on the secondary circuit. I mean, he might show up in, uh, if this Euro smash uh, ever gets off the ground, like maybe he shows up in, in a league like that. Um, that uh, by the way, I wonder where that's up to. We haven't heard about that for a while. The Euro Slam, sorry, the one that's uh, uh, mm. between Ireland, Scotland, and Netherlands, which got postponed a couple of times uh, through COVID. But you know, there will be leagues for him. But it, they, they won't be put it this way. They won't be befitting a man who looks like he had the, the world at his feet in 2015. I remember attending the press conference that Rod Marsh had. 
uh, as the chief selector uh, the, a couple of days after the World Cup win and they weren't taking Faulkner to the 2015 Ashes but the way they were framing it up was we see this guy and Glenn Maxwell as it happens as having long red ball careers for Australia we're just like we're, we're doing this in a careful and deliberative way well he was never in another test squad um, mm. after 13-14 so and yes that's his body but he just kind of fell off the map and actually hasn't played for Australia since 2017 in any form of the game which I found quite surprising well yeah the Euro League was being run by the same guys who ran the uh, the global Canada T20 that Smith and Warner went to when they were banned. Right. And, and if you want to play in a league that did have problems with not play, paying the players, um, that that would be one to to show up to. But yeah, Faulkner Faulkner goes out with he still has one of the greatest ever um, chasing records in one day international cricket, mm. and uh, presumably will forevermore because that's not going to change. But um, some of the things he did as a player were extraordinary. So. Yeah, it's a it's a sad one. Um, another extraordinary thing that was it was sort of very much in our wheelhouse, Adam. A triple century on first class debut. Sakabul Ghani, who was playing in the Ranchi Trophy, wandered out and peeled off three hundred and forty one in his first ever first class match. Um, and this was there was another player who made twin tons on debut as well, and they were identical twin tons. So I think it was 113 apiece in in both innings, which is um, which is the highest identical score in first class cricket according to Andrew Sampson. So plenty going on stats wise in terms of debuts in first class cricket. Yes, yeah, so uh, in the case of Saki Bulgani, he, he came in with the score at 71 for three and then put on 538, 538 uh, for the fourth wicket with Babul Kumar. Um, Was which it is at Junction the, Oval, this, um, this game? <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, it was the third highest fourth wicket partnership in the history of first-class cricket and the 10th highest individual uh, score ever in the Ranji Trophy, so 341 from 405 balls, 56 fours and two sixes. And going through his... his um, his biography pages. He doesn't look like he's come from the production line of the Indian 19s or any of that. So he's um, sort of more a, a local prospect. And who knows? He, he could end up a successor to one of the players that's been dumped from the Indian test team during the week. They've got two test matches against Sri Lanka uh, coming up in March. And uh, they've gotten rid of Pajara and Rahane. Uh, Rohit Sharma's captain, as you'd expect after those six wins they had over the last fortnight against the West Indies in, in white ball cricket. But yeah, just going through uh, the players they've, they've gotten rid of. Uh, Pajara, he's now 34 years of age. Since the Brisbane miracle, he's averaged 22 across 13 test matches. Rahane's 33 years of age. Uh, his average overall is down to 38.5. I think at one stage Rahane had a test average of close to 50. But yeah, since Brisbane, using that again as the benchmark, he's averaged 20 with only two half centuries. Ishant Sharma, Jeff, it's a bit sad to see him cut off, but I mean, I, I guess they've got, they're, they're spoilt for choice when it comes to fast bowlers. But if that's it for him, 311 test wickets at 32, but no reflection of what he became between 2018 and, and about 2020. In those years, his bowling average was 21, 15.6, 15.2 when he really started to, to dominate and lead that Indian attack again. And Ritaban Saha, probably the, the natural end to the the road for him as well at age 37 uh, he, he had a fine career across 40 test matches three centuries in, including that gem of a knock at Ranchi with Chiteshwa Pajara to uh, put India in a, in a fabulous position there in, in 2017 which uh, will stay long in the memory so yeah four massive contributors to Indian cricket all dispensed with and, and all sent back to the Ranchi Trophy which is interesting so uh, they've said their careers aren't over just that they need to, to, to force their way back via domestic cricket 
Yeah, well, Saha's response is that he was pretty much told his career was over or he, that's mm. how he interpreted it, that they would be looking at younger players going forward. The others could have a road back. I mean, Pajara went back to play for Sarastra um, a few days ago and peeled off 91 from 83 balls as if just <laughs> to remind people that he can actually hit the ball when he wants to. Maybe maybe he was roused, you know, a little, little bit cross when he went back there. Ishan Sharma was always such a Kohli pick. He was, you know, Virat Kohli always wanted him in that team and so it's telling that as soon as Coley's moved on from the captaincy Ishant's not there anymore the one that Coley always liked to rely on and and the upsurge in his career I mean it was more than the last couple of years it really started from when Coley took over that's when Ishant Sharma started to become a, a much better bowler given more license to attack and the other good fast bowlers came through over those years to support him and when he didn't have to carry that bowling attack anymore he was um, a, a much more dangerous operator so look any of them could be back but they, I mean, there's such a wealth of talent for India at the moment. They've got a, a queue of about 20 great young players with the bat who, who could come through and, and get a spot in that team, and so they'll get the opportunity. Yeah, the way that uh, the way that Ishant bowled to England in 2018, actually, he was just so good to left-handers and such a threat with the new Duke's ball. And yeah, it's it's sad in a way that it took him so long to realise that that was his best approach that he didn't need to be an out and out fast bowler as he was in 2007-08 in Australia where he kind of burst onto the scene bowling about 150 clicks well he was, he was a far better operator at 132 let's say and pitching it up and, and trying to induce the edge which he did so often especially when left-handers were on strike so if it is the end yeah, a fine career 311 test wickets a test match that was played last week Jeff uh, well it should have finished today actually on, on Tuesday but it was all over by Sunday um, New Zealand South Africa at Christchurch over inside I think it was about two and a half days the backdrop is that Mark Boucher the South African coach has arrived with a huge cloud um, over his future the hearing uh, for him internally with uh, Cricket South Africa will take place in May in relation to those allegations of racism that Paul Adams brought to the fore late last year but he's been retained as coach for the time being uh, Dean Elgar leading that team and look there is some mitigation as there often is Jeff at the moment with teams that are in bubbles beforehand and, and all the rest of it no warm up game or whatever but I mean getting bowled out as cheaply as they did both times uh, they only faced 90 overs collectively across two innings for 206 runs and they lost all 20 wickets of course in that in that space of time I mean they are in all sorts and they're playing another test match at the same ground in a couple of days. Well, this is a, a curious one. So Neil Manthorpe wrote a great column on this. He um, he has a cricket newsletter that you can find mm. if you pop it into Google where he writes a lot about South Africa and about other things as well. And he was pointing out that like they've had this mantra for the last five or six years about no excuses, you know, and then they're almost obsessive about it. Boucher and Elgar are, are really strong proponents of this. Won't make any excuses for, for, for what happened. The fact that they flew halfway across the world spent their time in isolation, couldn't train and then got out a couple of days before the test match, that is going to have an effect. You know, that is going to, to disrupt yeah. you. And and particularly, in, like we're always talking about in international cricket and especially test cricket where concentration is premium, being 1% off the pace is enough to get you absolutely smashed up. You know, if you're just, if you're not quite there when you're operating in such a split second environment, particularly with batting where you've got... You know, you don't get another chance at it if you make a mistake. You've got a third of a second to respond to the ball and so on. If you're slightly affected, then potentially it's going to be calamitous. And so acknowledging that 
shouldn't be seen as a as an excuse. It's it's the reality of it. But yeah, they got tailed up by Matt Henry, and it, which is interesting because he doesn't get a run in the New Zealand team most of the time. Like he's always been. He's been the substitute for the last few years. He was the substitute again because Trent Bolt's wife is having a baby and so Bolt wasn't there. Henry got got the nod. And because – so I wrote a long chapter in my book about the 2019 World Cup final, which means I reckon I've watched it more than – the vast majority of people I've watched that game back so many times sort of picking different bits out of it and Matt Henry is so good in that match like he's he bowls so well that you think how can this guy possibly not be bowling for New Zealand all the time but then the wealth of what they've got with Bolt with Southie with Jamison coming through with Neil Wagner doing what he does um, you know Lockie Ferguson occasionally when he's available uh, it is hard to break through but Henry it, on a pitch that offers a little bit of assistance, especially he's he's lands that seam so perfectly, he gets it to jag around and bang, bang, bang. He takes seven for twenty three in fifteen overs, goes through the top order early. Elgar, Markram, Rassi, Van der Dusen, and then just picks up most of the rest from there. So it was it was gratifying to see him get a big day out. You know, to see him get rewards for for perseverance in sticking around. Yeah, so 7 for 23 in the first innings and 2 for 32 in the second to finish with 9 for 55 for the match. I watched him bowl at Edgbaston last year against England when uh, they rested a couple of bowlers before the World Test Championship final and he bowled the house down. Uh, and, you know, you refer to the World Cup as well. So he's very well suited to bowling at home or in England. And, yeah, it's a shame he doesn't get more of an opportunity. But as you say, I mean, in that 11 uh, during the week, there was Tim Southey, Carl Jamison, uh, Neil Wagner and, and Colin de Grandholm as the, the all-rounder. And that's with Trent Bolt not available, as you say, on paternity leave last week. So having his third child or his wife having their third child. So what amazing depth they've got. So after bowling out South Africa for 95 in 49.2 overs, New Zealand went huge in reply, hitting 482, batting for a day and a half. So a real contrast there. Henry Nichols, 105, his eighth test century in just 45 test matches. So he's a, he's a very solid citizen, Nichols. He's up to over 2,500 test runs. He's only 30, so he should be right at the peak of his career. So in terms of, I suppose, not replacing Ross Taylor, but thinking about who takes the step up as the senior player, Nichols is, is the obvious man. Uh, and speaking of stepping up, Tom Blundell, who uh, has replaced BJ Watling, who's retired since the WTC final uh, last year. He made 96, so very, very close to reaching three figures for the second time in Test cricket. And then it was Matt Henry again. Coming in at number 11, he bludgeoned 58 not out from 68 balls. So he's had uh, the two best days of his cricketing life there and it folded into South Africa's second innings. They were all out for 111 in 41.5 overs. So even worse than the first time in, in terms of how long they occupied the crease. England-esque from, uh, from Melbourne is what it looks like on the scorecard from a couple of months ago. Bavuma was the top scorer with 41, but he was the only player in the top six to reach double figures for an innings and 276 runs loss. It's New Zealand's third biggest win in Test cricket. The other two coming against Zimbabwe and it's South Africa's second worst loss ever by that metric in all of their Test cricket, which is fairly staggering really and it's all summed up by the fact that Henry's 58 not out is uh, is higher than any score that a South African made in the match. Um, they lost 13 of their 20 wickets caught behind the wicket or in the cordon and Tim Southey uh, was uh, was nicking them off for laughs in the second dig taking 5 for 35. So um, yeah, 
yeah, as I say, they, they go back to Hagley Oval for the second test on, on Friday. And, um, yeah, per Telf Advice's um, column on CrickBuzz about this after the after the loss, um, Graham Smith's very unlikely to stay on as the boss of cricket beyond March when his contract runs out next month. And with the Boucher hearing, you know, hanging over them as well in May, it, it probably will take another few months before they can really get back on a on a level footing because they're they're in they're in a bad way at the moment. Yeah, the uh, the Henry Nichols point eight hundreds in forty five tests. He, that's exactly the sort of career where um, some commentators can say, "Oh, I haven't seen much of this guy. He looks like a promising prospect." <laughs> um, that, that's usually what they what they tend to do. But the Boucher situation is curious. We've seen this with cricket South Africa a lot, where things things get delayed, things take a really long time to drag to a conclusion with disciplinary matters, uh, and and so they've extended this out you know they're not going to get a resolution on that for another couple of months and he hasn't done himself any favors by taking a very legalistic sort of tone to his responses you know he hasn't he hasn't fronted up about things that obviously did happen you know it's not like there's any conjecture about whether there were racist jokes made in the dressing room because of you know there were that's nobody's disputing that mm, fact it's, mm. more, it's more about how how seriously it should be taken but a hell of a lot of contrition would help a lot in this situation and that hasn't been in evidence from Boucher. Also in New Zealand, uh, we've had two more uh, one-day internationals between the White Ferns and the Indian women. So they're all being played at Queenstown. We picked up the series with New Zealand 2-0 up. And the third one-day international was very similar to the second in that India batted first and made 279. Deepti Sharma top scored with 69, not out from 69 balls. After a flying start between Shafali Verma... And Sabanini Magana, who made 61 from 41 balls, while Shafali made 51 down the other end. They were 100 for one in the 12th over. That's when they lost their first wicket. So Magana's having quite an influential series, actually. She's 25 years of age, a right-handed opener, into the team and immediately uh, making a contribution. But, yeah, they were pegged back pretty well by Rosemary Mayer, who's uh, back from injury. I think she missed the uh, the England series with injury last year, two for 43, and Frankie Mackay bowled efficiently as well. But New Zealand got there, as they did in the second one day, in the final over, and again they won by, by three wickets. And Amelia Kerr, who made a century in the second game, made six 67 in the third at number three. So they've, they've really found a new role for her there ahead of the World Cup in a really clutch down with Amy Satterthwaite through the middle overs. And that was all the more important after Julian Goswami knocked over uh, Devine and Bates in the first couple of overs of the chase. But perhaps most impressive and most important for New Zealand out of this game is that Lauren Down made runs down at number six to steer them home, making an unbeaten 64 from 52 balls. Jeff, I mean, we've both seen her play a bit over the last couple of years. She made that 90 against Australia, I think it was, in her first series and and looks like she looked likely against England without ever really getting beyond mm. the start. So, I mean, she only averages 17 after 20 games. I don't want to get carried away here, but, you know, having a match-winning innings or playing a match-winning hand just before the World Cup at number six, not opening, where she was playing the start of her career. They're going to need that second group, aren't they? We often talk about, you know, it's the it's the next group of New Zealand batters who struggle after their big guns when they don't fire. Well, well Lauren Down fits into that category. They're going to need her at the World Cup. I'm, I'm very not sold on Lauren Down. I, I have watched her play quite a lot in the Big Bash and so on as well. And it, just from what I can see, it isn't there, whatever it is, whatever it, it needs to be. I mean, she did make that 90, but that was the most anomalous innings um, and, and not hugely convincing. Her, her domestic record's terrible as well. Like it, it's one of these players where you're 
astonished that they can actually get into the national team on the basis of what they've done domestically. So, I, you know, I'd love to see her develop and, and become a, a far better player. She's really good in the field, so she's obviously got yes, the, she is. The, the instincts, um, the, the quick reflexes. She's great at backward point or yep. or in the covers. Um, and so that's been the best part of her game so far, but um, she's been really poor with the bat for a top-order player very consistently. So if... If this is a breakthrough, great, happy days, but um, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, I, mean, I think maybe the fact that it's down at number six is the one the one variable mm. that's changed. Instead of batting opener or three where she has until now, uh, it, yeah, I, I hope she does because it's like you look at players like Lauren Down and, and Maddie Green's the other one who was match winning in one game against England but has got a dreadful record overall. And another who, who's fallen into that bracket is the veteran Katie Martin who was there with Lauren Down at the end making 35 from 37. Again, a, a record that's flattered to the sea to use the old cliche in, in recent times. Um, but yeah, she's been there a long time. She's been there so long, Jeff, that she's actually played a test match. The last time that New Zealand women wore the whites was 2003 when, when Katie Martin was starting her career. A, a much-loved member of the team and uh, she'll definitely be there at the World Cup, but yeah, needs to be a consistent contributor. Great tourist, great chat. Um, very good on the stump yep. mics is, is Katie Martin, but um, yeah, need, needs to offer a little more with the bat. I'm astonished by this Amelia Kerr rise as well, though, because I'm wondering what like, what have India been bowling? Because Amelia Kerr's been gobbling them up at, at first drop. And, and then she comes in in this fourth one day. So it got reduced to 20 overs a side yep. for rain. She made 68 off 33 balls betting at first drop. New Zealand went absolutely crazy. They made 191 Blimey. in their 20 overs. I'm not sure if they've ever made that many in a T20, let alone doing it sort of off the cuff in a, in a one-day international. Everybody chipped in with quick runs, Divine, Bates, Satterthwaite, Kerr, that's all they needed. And India were nowhere near it. Risha Ghosh, 52 off 29, but had no one to go with her. They were all out for 128. Kerr gets three for 30 to go with her runs. But, I mean, has she, has she been training with Barry Bonds or something? Like, what's the go? How has <laughs> Amelia Kerr suddenly peeled off 100 and then a couple of 50s back to back? I mean, she was a, a seven eight and then sometimes snuck up to a six in the T20 team and suddenly she's a, a number three in, in one day cricket and killing it. I know that's, I know she made her double hundred up the order, but that was against uh, Ireland when they were not a very strong team. Yeah, the last time I, I sort of paid attention to her batting would have been during the T20 World Cup in 2020, so pre-pandemic, when she nearly sunk India mm. uh, in a hefty run chase where she was going... Leg side, going offside of the ball, opening up the leg side and taking on the spinners. So I'm not she, sure if this she has took been... down Poonam Yadav for the leg spinner yes. who, who gives it so much flight. And Kerr was going right back in her crease and letting it bounce and then t balling it basically after the bounce yeah. rather than yeah. coming uh, down the track to it. Well, that, that's it. That, that's what I was going to say. What, what was noticeable was that she had that strength, a little bit like Nat Siver, who no matter what position she finds herself in, she can still hit the ball for six. So maybe that's, um, that's Kerr as well, that she, she backs her strength. And, well, yeah, if they've, if they've got her contributing at number three and Devine and Bates, we can assume, will make contributions through the World Cup, and likewise Satterthwaite, that's a group of four. And then, yeah, it's whether we can have a combination of Down, Green, Martin, not five, six and seven, but say fifth, sixth mm. and seventh in the depth chart, enabling them to get up towards, you know, 280, 300 consistently. And I suppose they've done it now in, in, in three one-dayers and then won this uh, this T20 that they've, they've uh, ended up playing in the fourth one-dayer. 
Yeah, their highest score in a T20. They definitely made 200 uh, down at Taunton when they broke their own record at, uh, in 2018. It would have been against South Africa. But yeah, that might be their second highest score in um, in 20 over cricket, even though it's a, a one-day international. So yeah, all signs looking good there, 4-0 up. <laughs> a little bit of chat from Meg Lanning during the week. I know you're big on having domestic Red Bull cricket by state in Australia, Adam. She doesn't want it she says they should maybe play Australia versus Australia A but not do it as a a state contest because they're not advanced enough to to do it so far which it does seem a bit defeatist coming from a national captain I see both sides of this I get where she's coming from saying I think what she's basically steering towards is that uh, they need to start playing some red ball cricket now, like at the next level down, and the best way to achieve this is to play a few games a year where the talent's concentrated. So it's, I suppose, most like a test match as it would be if it were Australia against Australia A, effectively a first-class fixture. But I still think that that ambition to have the WNCL broadened out to three-day cricket should be there. I don't necessarily think it should be either or, given how many women domestic players there are around the country who don't play an awful lot of cricket. They play a lot of club cricket and they play in the Big Bash and they play in the WNCL, but there are a lot of days in the year when, when they are not needed to play and they are professional and thus if there's a way to bring in the way, the way I'd like to see them do it is um, is to uh, yeah do it via three day cricket uh, and, and play it over long weekends maybe a few games per year but look the fact that Lanning's advancing this conversation good on her for it I'm glad that we're, we're debating the finer points of how this should happen not whether it should mm. happen at all so um, yeah let's see whether the schedulers agree uh, next year it's worth noting that throughout the last 12 months, pretty much every Australian cricketer who's been asked about this has, has made a, a comment about the need for domestic red ball cricket. So, And the ACA, remember the ACA. And also, uh, and again, I didn't read this story in too much depth, but there was a piece a couple of weeks ago, again from Bretto, which went to the NFT. Now, I'm not going to get the detail on this quite right, but to do with the idea that they are going to try and fund more women's domestic cricket, including red ball cricket, through the sale of NFTs or something like that that CA are involved in. So um, so this, this was a piece that Dan had maybe two or three weeks ago around the test match concluding. So, yeah, I suppose what we're really seeing there is them looking for a revenue stream to make this additional investment worth their while. So it, it's not perfect, but I feel like we're, we're sort of drifting in the right direction. Yeah, you can't fund women's cricket without commissioning another bank of servers to churn away in Belarus to <laughs> compute some blockchain bullshit. Like, sell Chico rolls. Like, at least someone gets a feed out of it. Come on. This is, it's an <laughs> absolute joke how everyone's drinking the Kool-Aid on this NFT stuff. The only NFT we're interested in is a no Frank Ward team. That's an <laughs> NFT that we can get behind. Well, I think, I think I'm willing to... I'm, I'm, curious, I'm still curious as to what this might mean if, if my, uh, with my photo from the Oval last year. But I, I fully acknowledge, as I said on Storytime the other week, it's only a raw if you're not in on it. So yeah. we'll see. If I can make well, a buck or two, I'm open to it. It's a it's a, a massively um, climate damaging rot. So it's a, there is no sustainability in getting into this stuff. Um, <laughs> it's 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 an absolute scam. Uh, quick note on the Sheffield Shield: uh, Jack Clayton made a ton on debut for Queensland. Happy days. Nick Maddinson another hundred. Marcus Harris ninety one as he goes to Pakistan. Uh, and in the other game, Trent Copeland's four hundredth first class wicket, uh, which was a nice moment for someone who is very broad. Broadly beloved. It's nice how broadly beloved Trent Copeland has become in the Australian cricket community. 
Yeah, long career, played over a dozen years. He's 35 years of age now. But yeah, 403 wickets at 25, 109 games. That's a, a pretty hefty sample size. He would have played more county cricket too. They loved him at Northants, but it was um, it was in that era when you could only play in the championship or you'd only get the NOC if you'd played for Australia in, in the most recent, was it two or three years or something like that? So his window to play county cricket was quite narrow, but he absolutely made the most of that. Uh, the other major story uh, coming out of the game between between Victoria and Queensland was that Mark Steckity only got through uh, two overs in the second innings with the ball. That ended up petering out to a draw. But for Steckity's part, he was just drafted into the test squad because Mark Wanisa's mm. got a side strain. And now it looks like Steckity might have a side problem. So uh, that's, that's fairly grim. We had the other Australian fast bowler, Scott Boland, in that game too, Jeff. I love the fact that after being so effective and having a ridiculous strike rate and average against England, he bowled 19 wicketless overs in the first innings uh, against Queensland <laughs> and yeah, in the other game. New South Wales getting the points, which, which means they're just about in striking distance. There's only six games to go in that competition and the top five are separated by five points with New, with New South Wales in fifth and Queensland in, in first uh, by one point. So the only team that's really out of contention is South Australia and we have a, a couple of weeks break now before they, they play those final six games. And then the Shield final, which is uh, going to about the 4th of April or something like that. So the international summer might be over, but loads of domestic cricket to come. Right, let's play a little game that we like to call Nerd Pledge. Nerd Pledge, that's what we call it. Um, it's a game that we play with all of the people on our Patreon page. Here's how it works. It's a reverse quiz. Uh, they fund the show by sending us contributions, and those contributions are not normal uh, denominations of currency. They're very specific denominations because they relate to cricket in some way, and we have to work out what the number means. Uh, this number comes in from Sean O'Carroll. It's in British pounds. It's two pounds and 50 pence. So it's two five zero. We, the decimal could go anywhere. There could be more zeros added. Two five zero is all we've got to start with. And the clue is one word. It says Cardiff. So initially, of course, Adam, when I saw this, I thought Cardiff 2009. I thought James Anderson and Monty Panesar batting out uh, the draw in, in the last 11 overs that they faced together, I think it was. And I thought, didn't they make about 250 in that fourth innings? And they did, but it was 252. So that wasn't it. Almost there. Not quite there. Looked at first class scores made at Cardiff. 248 and a 252, but never a 250. And then after uh, chasing my tail for a while, I realised I was on the wrong format. Got to look at one day international cricket because 250 is what Bangladesh made in 2005 when they chased it against Australia, when Muhammad Ashraful, sports betting enthusiast uh, and, and wonderful player on his day, made 100 in that run chase and, and got him over the line against the all-conquering Australians uh, the day that Andrew Simons showed up completely hammered for the game and tripped over a wheelie bin on his way in um, and got left out of the 11. Yeah, I was looking at the test and first-class side of things as well. I went through any number of Glamorgan scorecards and I thought maybe the fact that it was the 100th Test Match venue, Cardiff, back in 2009 and we're using, you know, round numbers. But no, it was none of that, as you say. Definitely that memorable one-day international for many, many reasons. Uh, I've uh, written a number of times about Mashrafa Mortaza, uh, the, the, well, he became the Bangladesh captain, but then he was a 21-year-old and he, uh, he trapped Adam Gilchrist early on, 
second ball of the match, actually. It sort of set the whole story in motion. Ricky Ponting uh, was out leg before wicket, falling over himself. You know, when Ponting was out of form, you could identify mm. it by the fact that he would be out to full deliveries on middle stump, falling over to the offside. Uh, so, it, it, I mean, it, he did find form through the summer, but um, it was uh, noteworthy that he started slowly and they'd only lost that T20 to, to England I guess it was three days before. I remember personally, I was in uh, Mallorca um, about to arrive in the UK when they lost the T20 and then landed at Luton Airport at 2am on the morning of the of the uh, the Bangladesh game and very kindly uh, my late friend Rob Padmore who the, the Padmore medals named after uh, between England and Pakistan when they play each other in, in test cricket, he, he got me from the airport, bless him. And I remember he identified me, you know, the only thing that could have made me look more Australian was a surfboard under my arm. As such was my sort of tanned skin and long curly brown hair at the time and all the rest of it. But no, I went back to Rob's place in Lincolnshire and, and in a little, little village called Baston and, and uh, we watched much of that game through the course of the day, visiting various pubs in that part of the world. And then I copped abuse from everybody uh, in the spinning wheel that night because Australia had lost to Bangladesh. And <laughs> it, was the, it was quite the chastening start to the uh, my long trip through England that summer to be in a pub where everybody wanted to give it to me. But I was, you know, sort of quietly chuffed that Bangladesh had done it as well. Even at that age, I was kind of quite into the idea of Australia, you know, being good, but not being utterly dominant. And Mm. yeah, so it was the start of an amazing summer uh, and yeah, memorable uh, for me as well. The other thing you'll love about this, Adam, is that in that match, Simon Kadic batted at number seven for the Australian One Day International Did he? team. He made right. 36 not out from 23 balls, having a swing at the end. Well, he would have been brought in. Presumably, Cat would have come in because Simons was. Um, yeah. Because well, Simons he, might Simons have batted seven. Batted there. He, he would yeah. have been at that, at that stage, he did bat seven because he was the, the big clouter um, at the death ahead of Brad Hogg at, at eight. So, yeah, he would have been the Simons replacement. But he did the job, um, did Simon Kadic. Uh, and I suppose bat. he would have also, when you think about team, I hadn't really thought of it in this way before, but if, if Simons was batting seven, that would assume they were expecting him to get through. Maybe Some even overs. ten overs. He so, didn't. You know, bowl you think it, um, Michael Clark bowled six overs in that game. Right. Mike Hussey bowled five overs of his little military medals very tidily when it fought for an over. But um, I'm, yeah, it's, it was impressive that Bangladesh got it because you know Martin and Clark batted slowly, and then but then Mike Hussey and Kadic at the end um, both scored very quickly, um, in, put on sixty together in quick time. So for the Bangladeshis to bounce back from from that sort of momentum shift, and then and then Ashraful. Um, 100 off 101 balls. Um, I remember that innings and, and his response. So, yeah, a highly, highly memorable day. And the, the postscript was uh, that they uh, all got taken out in a limousine that night through the streets of Cardiff. So they, uh, I don't know who um, who put this on for them, the Bangladeshi team, but they celebrated in style, uh, yeah, in the back of a limo, which uh, Mortaz has also spoken about in the past, it being like a really early formative memory of his long international career. Well, Sean, uh, that's you. Uh, you are also the winner of the Brick Lane giveaway in that you get to give away a slab of Brick Lane. I'm going to assume that you're in the UK based on the currency, uh, which means you'll have to give it to someone in Australia. But if you're sending us this clue about a memorable Australian match, you must have some friends in Australia. You can send a case of award-winning, uh, world medal-winning beer to uh, bricklanebrewing.com is where you find all of their stuff. Uh, they've got the low alcohol options as well for the people who do don't like getting on the booze, so you can check out everything they've got there. All right, Jeff, let's take a break uh, on the final word. And when we return, it'll be a broadcaster, entrepreneur, player, administrator, Daniel Weston. The problem with the French is they don't have a word for entrepreneur. 
Hi, I'm Natalie Jimonis, and you listen to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. We've told you before that Woodstock make the best cricket bats in the world. That's because they came one and two in the Cricketer magazine's blind gear test, uh, which does not mean they have a bunch of brick lane beforehand. It means that they don't know what bats they're using and they picked the tour de force in the Airstream as the best bat out of the lot. But you can get them for way cheaper than a bat in Australia. You're looking at over a thousand bucks for a top line bat, up to twelve hundred dollars for for one of the big dog brands in Australia. A Woodstock bat you can get for about seven hundred, three hundred and seventy five quid, and then you can get twenty percent off it when you use our offer code. So you can uh, get it down to what's that five hundred and sixty dollars? It's about half yeah. the price and no compromise in the quality. These were some sums I was tossing around yesterday. Cause, you know, we, we talked a lot about the fact that bats are fundamentally cheaper uh, from Woodstock, even in Australia, and that is, like, absolutely true. I, I jumped on a couple of the websites for the big dogs, and, yeah, 1200 bucks for a stick. I mean, that's a serious wallop. And a big part of the Woodstock story is wanting cricket gear to be broadly affordable. And look, I know that 375 quid is still a lot of money. I'm not saying that it's a, a small sum, but for the relative bat that you're getting, as we said, award-winning bats in the Tour de Force and the Airstream, for example, that, that retail for 375 at the moment. That is 700 bucks. We give you 20% off at TFW20 at the offer code at the, at the price bar. So you're down to 560 before a shipping costs that might come to say 50 odd quid you're still ahead by up to 600 bucks on one of the best cricket bats in the world all made by hand by john newsome he's the uh, the bat maker in chief the bat maker to the stars has been for many many years and um, they've recently signed up josh de silva the, the young gun west indies wicketkeeper batsman he's the he's the not the first test player to sign up with woodstock i don't want to i don't want to besmirch stephen finn but a current test player and a test batsman at that in in josh de silva so there's good reasons to sign up because of the quality of kit but also it just makes financial sense if you want a new bat if you're in england as we say that's that's the price you're looking at 20 percent off with tfw20 it's all done with you as well they're not just machine made bats that you pull off the shelf you're having a consultation with john and the team at, at woodstock about what bat would suit you there are many options at their disposal about where you put the the weight in the bat which will be influenced by the way that you play the game so yes uh, get with the program woodstockcricket.co.uk the best cricket bats in the world affordable bats uh, and we're proud to be in association with them here on the final word offer code tfw20 hi i'm dave warner and you're listening to the final word this is The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon and our feature interview today is with a man I've been hoping to get on to chat with us for a while owing uh, to the various things he's been up to with European cricket. The hook is that Germany are currently playing in the qualifier for the T20 World Cup and this man, Daniel Weston, has played cricket for Germany but it's an awful lot more than that in helping set up the game there and far beyond, including in Spain this week where he is with the European Cricket League. Uh, a West Australian's to. Dan, welcome to The Final Word. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, pleasure to be on. So let's start with Germany, shall we? Now, if they won their group this week in Oman, they would have been playing in the T20 World Cup later this year in Geelong and Hobart. Now, that hasn't played out, but it says, I suppose, a fair bit about their progress in recent years, which you've been such a big part of that they're there this week. They had in their group Bahrain, Ireland and the UAE. 
Now, they didn't win any of those games, but can you try and put in perspective where German cricket was seven or eight years ago compared to this week when they've had this extraordinary opportunity to play on a much bigger stage? Yeah, no, that, thanks, Adam. It's a, it's a demographic story. It's a socioeconomic story. It was a... Um, I arrived in... So from Perth, Western Australia, and I, I got to Germany in 2007 and I Googled uh, Munich Cricket Club because I was in Munich and I found that there was, a, there was a club in existence there and went down and met the guys and made a lot of friends um, sort of instantly. But it was a lot of expats from England, Australia, New Zealand, etc. And it was very much a social, a social sport. Now, because of the, the war in Afghanistan and, and a huge drive of German companies that needed engineering talent, there was a huge migration of, of cricket-loving people from the Indian subcontinent that either came across as refugees or came across to study um, engineering and maths and science and all the things that Germany are good at. So I saw a transition of, of cricket being played in parks in Germany for a, for a social laugh to then within those sort of yeah, seven or eight years then all of a sudden club cricket in Germany became very highly competitive, performance-based and, and essentially uh, cricketers that didn't want to have a social time, they wanted to have a high-performance time. And that really inspired me to see that, hey, hold on a second, um, these people that are arriving in Germany are not leaving. Uh, they love their game. They want to play cricket to the highest level as possible. And that was the really yeah big driver around, uh, around a bit of a, the changing shift. It was just the, the way people love their cricket went from being a social thing to being a, a performance-driven thing. And off the back of that, I, um, you know, I, I love the game and, and uh, was spending a lot more time in Germany than I ever expected because of career, uh, yeah, my career progress and business progress. Met a girl and fell in love with her and she was a German and all of a sudden it, it was a story of I think I'm going to be in Germany forever. I think I'm going to have German children, German-Australian children. And if there's a future for German kids to end up being cricketers and footballers like they are in Australia, you know, and having a, having a winter sport and a summer sport, then I think, you know, it was sort of up to me to try and do something and try and do something quickly. And obviously with the power of social media, that was where the people were that were new in Germany and, and wanted to play cricket in Germany. And I created a social media platform called German Cricket TV to create content and live streams and, and, and just make the awareness of, of cricket in Germany known to, to a public and sort of started growing from there. So live streaming's become a huge thing in, in recent years, but, but it probably wasn't a big deal six or seven years ago when, when this all started. Just explain, I suppose, the, the process you went through to realising there's an opportunity here, and not only a, a demographic story, but in the story of investment too, really, isn't it, where you saw that you needed to find a way, a vehicle to put some money behind it. Yeah, so, so, so yeah, in playing for Germany, we played in a 12-degree rain-shortened match against Sweden in an ICC European Division 4. <laughs> it, was, it was an event like this. Germany won the game with, with a good bunch of guys. When we walked off the field, there was one of the brothers of the players doing a Facebook Live from his phone of, of the team essentially walking off the field successful. And that got thousands of views. Then at night, we were sitting there having a team dinner and all the boys, you know, oh, Volkswagen should sponsor us, uh, BMW should sponsor us, or any German company name you could think of, oh, I should sponsor us because we're, we're so good. And I'm just sitting there as, a, as an entrepreneur or as a, as a business person thinking, nah, they're never going to sponsor it, guys, because no one can see it. And, and if you can't see it, then there won't be any corporate attention there. So, but, but I had this in my head and, and obviously, you know, yeah, Kerry Packer was obviously a big story in, in reshaping Australian cricket and, and these sort of things were just sort of eating away at, at, uh, in my mind and stomach over that period. And there was serious momentum in German cricket on a performance level, but nowhere to see it and it was the end of the summer. So, so what I had this idea was let's, 
Let's do a crowdfunding campaign to raise enough money to get the German squad together in Frankfurt for one more sort of post-season training camp. And the idea was to get them to get the full squad of, of 25 players into Frankfurt. And then I thought, well, let's try and film it, create some content around it and see who wants to watch it. And in my apartment in Munich downstairs was a production company. So I knocked on the door. Hi, Benedict, I'm Daniel. Do you know cricket? And he says, no, I don't know cricket. And I said, okay, um, not a problem. It's this sport. And he said, okay, I think I know that. I've, I've got an idea. I'd like you to help me produce a game of cricket. And I want to see how many people uh, see it. So with the money from the, go for the, the crowdfunding, we paid for all the players across Germany to meet in Frankfurt. And, and we got there. They had a production van, plugged it into the power socket and the, and the power socket blew. And then two hours later, we got the generator and then realized we needed diesel, put in the diesel in the generator. And we had this game on the Saturday where it was raining. The guy was uh, set up his camera at mid-wicket and he was filming, you know, the pace bowler running off his long run. And then, and then sort of as he bowled, he moved the camera there and he didn't know what he was filming at all. And then that was the end of the first day. I thought, oh, geez, that was a shocker. Then the next day, I had one GoPro with me, and I said, "Okay, well, that cameraman." I said, "Don't worry about bowling, the, uh, filming the guy from, you know, from midwicket. Change the angle. Got him fo focusing more on the on the batsman and bowler together. I put a GoPro behind the stump, and it was another rain, horrible, horrible day. But then with that, I took the content from the GoPro. I took the co content from the from this camera. I locked myself in a room while I was still running my business on on the uh, on the other screen, and um, and what my idea was to cut twenty short clips. Well, all of the players that were filmed over that weekend make very short clips of each of them, put a player profile behind them, and then upload them and see who wanted to see it. And uh, and it was um, yeah, I, I I cut them all. Then I was in front of Facebook and I thought, oh, what should I call this? And I called it German Cricket TV. And then at, at sort of six a.m. each morning, I was uploading these twenty clips. There was a few hundred thousand viewers uh, over the next week or so of people watching this content, and it was from Germany and it was from India. And I thought, oh, that, that's fascinating. Then I got a phone call from someone in the cricket community in Frankfurt saying, hey, we've got an indoor cricket tournament. Can you come and, you know, German Cricket TV, it was a brand then, <laughs> can, you come and, um, <laughs> can you come and create content? So I bought six GoPros. I went to Frankfurt. I put these six GoPros around the indoor cricket hall or the indoor school gym, uh, press record on all these GoPros and created content the next week around that. Then I got another phone call from Hamburg saying, hey, we've got a, an indoor cricket tournament. Can you come and produce content for that? So then um, I bought another six GoPros. We ended up with 12 GoPros, did that event. Then the next one, I bought another six. We ended up with 18 GoPros on the on the front of the stump, the back of the stump, the umpire, the the basketball rim, the the side. And then what I was doing was clipping very short social media friendly clips with 18 GoPros all synchronized. And it was unbelievable content. And the, the number of um, views in Germany was skyrocketing, which then meant that the number of clubs was growing like wildfire. We went from 60 clubs to then 370 clubs in the space of the 18 months where we were just creating content around German cricket, not live viewing, but not live streaming, sorry, but just creating great short clips that were built for social. I, I was still running my hedge fund at the time and, and very much concentrating and focusing on, on that. Um, I employed two friends from Munich Create Club to sit in my office with me. So I was trading derivatives and they were creating Create content. And, um, and we did not have any business plan. We didn't have any, any ambition to take that much further apart from uh, Create's a game I love. I'm going to be here for a long time. If we can continue growing the number of clubs, then let's do it. Go, go, go. Then we did uh, yeah, a summer of, of T20 cricket playing domestically. And what we found was it was incredible talent, every corner of Germany that's able to, able to play the game at a higher level that are there working or studying or just integrating into German life and German culture. And 
all of a sudden got this got this cricket event uh, you know happening left right and center then uh, again that was a huge investment from our side just just love and and commitment into it and then helping the german cricket federation pay for training camps and and anything that would just improve the the game and the preparedness for for the german national team and uh yeah and i was a player at, at that point in time and and it was hard for me to <laughs> to to run my run my business and try to run this german cricket tv monster and and also try to play for germany at the same time with a with a then a a, a newly a newly wedded wife and um yeah but again it was it was there was no business plan around it it was just a passion project which it still is today i guess and and then um we were asked by the swiss cricket federation um uh, there's a thing called cricket on ice um which is played on the frozen lake of st moritz and then they asked german cricket tv to come and live stream that so so we went there and we live streamed cricket on ice and then we were very lucky at a dinner that was that was there at the time where I met a guy called Roger Finer who's now our CEO but he was the head of broadcasting at FIFA and I told him about what I was doing with German Cricket TV and about myself and about the the whole potential of cricket in Germany but cricket across the European continent in general we had a few glasses of wine and Mike Hussey was sitting next to me because I knew Mike from playing in Wanneroo back in Perth and and uh, it was just an extraordinary night with um yeah with, with cricketing people there in Switzerland and then the very next day, I met Roger again on the ice by accident. And he said, hey, Daniel, great to meet you last night. My friends, Frank and Thomas, um, uh, I'd like to introduce you to them. And I said, oh, great, who are they? And he said, oh, they were the founders of the Champions League. And I said, oh, which Champions League? And he said, oh, the UEFA Champions League. And I said, okay, great. And then, uh, and then they, yeah, he said to me, look, um, we're looking for a new international sport to try and help grow in, in Europe. Now that I've met you, I think cricket's the sport and you're the guy that's going to do it. How about if we exchange details when we meet in a month's time? And then, uh, yeah, so I was, as I say, I was still, still running my business and, and very much focused on that. And, uh, and then I had an opportunity within 30 days to prepare an idea to pitch to these guys about how to develop a project in, in, in Europe. And then it became very clear for me. I was thinking about the big bash and the IPL and American sports. And I thought, wow, as soon as I started to create content in Germany, the number of clubs went from, you know, exponential. And I'm meeting the guys behind the world's greatest ever club sporting event. So it's easy. I have to create the Champions League of European cricket, whereby the best club team from Europe should come to a, a competition where they can play against each other to see who is the champion club team, you know, across all these countries. And they believed in this crazy guy's story um, that we should do that uh, because we had 52 million views on social media that year. My ambition was to start the league. And they said, look, yeah, on a digital side, we're not sure if the UEFA Champions League is watched on Sky or Fox or UEFA.com in the future. And what you've done with German Cricket TV is created this really strong digital community. So we think we need to start a digital community for European cricket as well as the event itself. And so we created the European Cricket League and the European Cricket Network on, on the train on the way home. <laughs> the, the name came to mind. And uh, yeah, and, and then this was 2019, whereby we had to, um, uh, yeah, sort of call the federations. The federations knew me as a player and as a supporter of German cricket. And I pitched to the federa eight federations the idea of, of uh, starting, uh, of, of uh, joining the first ever Champions League of European cricket. It was eight countries and it was three days and it was a really expensive um, but really fun test event. And that's where Pavel Florin obviously played for the, the Romanian club uh, championship and VOC Rotterdam scored 222 in a T10 to, to win the final. And it was a big explosion of a test event which had so much great spirit 
and passion and love for the game uh, that we were really excited about it. And and it was meant to be a T20 event because T20 was the gold standard of, of cricket around the world. Um, but when I looked at the budget and I, I always want to do things bigger and bigger and faster, et cetera, but we sat around and thought, oh, eight teams in three days. And then I tried to schedule it and I couldn't find a winner in three days with T20. So then I thought, oh my gosh, I, what about T10? Maybe T10 actually, you know, shifts the balance in, in you know, we've got Scotland playing against Czech right now, um, champions, and it's an even game. And it's an even game because of this T10 format. And then I had to then say to the federations who I told it would be a T20 event, it's now going to be T10. And they were like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I was like, oh, please, it'll go to T20 next year. But for the first test event, T10. We did T10 at that event and literally those same federations came up and they punched me in the arm and said, Daniel, T10 works. This is brilliant. Uh, it's got to stay T10. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, and, and then uh, it was the, the huge viral exposure. It was on uh, on many broadcasters around the world and, and went, uh, went, went viral with uh, lots of social media, really good positive stories. I wanted to grow it the next year to 15 teams, but then Corona took hold wanted to grow it again, then Corona took hold in, in 2021 again. And now I sit here, you know, behind the LED uh, scoreboard of, uh, of what is the second edition of the European Cricket League, Champions League of European Cricket. So, Dan, what's, tell us about what's your background with cricket in Australia and then how did you end up qualifying to play for Germany? Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah, I've got photos of myself as a two-year-old in in Perth, Western Australia, with with a bat and pads and gloves that Mum made for me, and yeah, just yeah, love my cricket and footy since uh, since early early days. Then uh, yeah, I was playing at Wanneroo District Cricket Club, and then Basil Morley in Melville, where I got to play with Marcus North and Adam Voges, and and um, they were my captains, and Sean Marsh was the captain of my uh, West Strand under 19s career. Yeah, I. I Started trading stocks when I was 15, and I loved investing and trading on the on the markets. I then started a tech company when I was 18, and that I sold when I was 23. And it was just yeah, I, I loved business and trading and and uh, and cricket. <laughs> essentially, I also loved Europe. So when I when I had the first opportunity after high school, I went to Europe on on some holidays with with, uh, with friends and and just loved the culture and history of Europe. And and then. After I sold the business and, and moved to Europe, I was essentially trading stocks from my laptop while traveling around. I got to Munich and yeah, I, I met a guy who was running Macquarie Bank Germany and he offered me a job to, to work with him alongside him. And uh, yeah, and that was the moment where I thought, wow, you know, I did, the, the, the path less trodden um, was all of a sudden with, a, with an opportunity to work with ex-head of Macquarie Bank in Munich. I saw on Google, there was a Munich Cricket Club. I'm in the middle of Europe and wow, you know, what comes next <laughs> sort of thing. So as I say, I, I was then very much focused on my business because I started a hedge fund based on my trading uh, experience and a newsletter that I, that I had out there where I called the 2008 issues in the world markets and then 2009 recovery, et cetera. So I was getting backing from, from people around the region of Switzerland and, and in Germany, which meant my business career was growing. And on the cricket side of things, it was the expat fun but then because it wasn't, I'm not much of a beer drinker, social cricketer. I'm a performance, like I love performance cricket. So I sort of let cricket go by the wayside for those years while I was focusing on the business. Then I was, I actually spent, I was, I was working from New York, thinking that I was going to stay in New York for good. Got back to Munich to pack up my bags. And that's where I met my now wife on Tinder. <laughs> so when, when that moment happened, getting back involved in cricket in, in Germany, as I say, I could see all these performance cricketers, not the social cricketers. And that's when I then looked at the ICC 
eligibility criteria. And at that stage, it was seven years. Um, and I'd done my seven years already in Germany. So I qualified then to, to play for Germany. And then I, in my local club, I then talked to the German Federation and said, look, at, yeah, what's the pathway? And the pathway was, you know, getting picked from your local area to uh, go into trials. And I went into trials and, and got selected based on the back of a seven-year uh, residency requirement, which they've now changed to three years, which is very good in many ways because there's just so many young, newly entered immigrants into Europe, mainly coming from, yeah, from the Indian subcontinent, uh, of course, that qualify after three years, and then they can add a lot of value to, um, yeah, to, to the strength of a cricket team in, you know, a country like like Italy or, or Germany or Spain. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a remarkable story from head to toe, really. But I mean, there's a bit of this where the sustainability of, of countries to improve over time can't just be. Uh, in relation to um, uh, people uh, arriving with three years residency or, or whatever it is, that's good, of course, and you see that um, in, in the story of perhaps Ireland or, or Italy, even uh, as they've made their way through the ranks. You were that for Germany in a way, weren't you? I mean, you effectively were a passport player, but having lived there, of course, but but nevertheless being an expat from Australia, can you just talk a little bit about about that and that challenge for Germany to take the next step and how it'll need to be homegrown yeah. and how what you were able to achieve all those years ago with with German cricket TV should be the foundation for that and not relying so heavily on migration. Yeah, for, for me, it's it's all about parents and heroes and German cricket isn't going to be huge next year. It's not going to be huge the, the, the year after. It's actually, unfortunately, it's a very, very long, very, very long-term story. I think that the future of cricket in Europe may might have been 100 years away unless we did something today or did something yesterday. And then I think we can bring it to sort of a 25 year story. So what we're doing now with European cricket league, there's 22 people on the park right now in this match that are finally getting a, a chance to be seen as stars because they're being broadcast. Now, when those guys play, they're either fathers or their uncles um, or their future parents. And then their children will see their father or their, or their, or their father's friend playing on TV now, when I was a two-year-old playing cricket, I, I could see Alan Border on the TV and I didn't know if Alan Border was... I just knew he was a hero. With these guys, you know, a, a three-year-old, a four-year-old, five-year-old sees them on a live stream and thinks they're a hero. You know, they're hitting sixes, they're taking wickets, they're celebrating, they're wearing the shirts with pride. You know, so, so, the, so that moment, and we've got a lot of plastic bats and balls here, all it needs to do is say, okay, that is a hero. I want to hit a ball. Let's just hit, start hitting a ball. And by the time a kid starts to hit a ball then they should tell their friend and their friend might be, you know, a 10th generation Spanish child, but they don't know as a five-year-old whether cricket is a Spanish sport or, a, or, or not, you know. So it's about the children of today's cricketers um, seeing, having something to see and say, hey, wow, what a, great, what a great sport or my dad is a hero. Because, yeah, as I say, the four-year-old doesn't know if, the, if, the, if, if Ronaldo is on 100 million or, or on nothing. All he knows is it's a person that I could aspire to be like and he playing, he's playing sport and I want to play sport too. And I think that's, that's where, it, where it starts is actually today's cricketers in Europe are not going to win a World Cup, but they're actually the pioneers who are being, uh, they're, in, they're, they're impressionable on their children um, who are born in Europe growing up in Europe, multilingual speaking European languages and their mother tongues as well. Um, and, and that's, that's how it inspired. So it's a very, very long, it's a very long, very long journey, but you need to, to, to be like Steve Smith. You have to have a bat in your hands before you're five years old. You, you know, you, you can't pick it up when you're 20 
and then move the needle. You, you, yeah, so, so it's all about the current cricketers have to be promoted and placed on a platform, which is exciting for them, which very much is, um, because they're living out their dreams by playing in the European Cricket League, which is on, on the live stream, but it's their children that need to see it and say, hey, I want to do that too. I remember being surprised during the first uh, European Cricket League season just how much of it I saw. There were all these clips coming up on socials. There, It was being screened. There were people watching it. It was being talked about. Maybe that wasn't a surprise to you given how many views you were getting just from filming indoor tournaments in Germany and so on. But like, to what level was it? Like, How gratifying was it and, and how surprising was it that the take-up was, was so quick and that there was such interest in it? Oh, it's it's so it's very emotional. It's uh, yeah. There's tears almost on a daily basis because we're we're <laughs> we're giving people the best days of their lives, like the, the, every every single day. Because people love cricket with so much passion, then they get a chance to live out a childhood dream, but also with their club, who they were so passionate about. You know, so there's passion left, right, and centre. Yeah, I'm not surprised because like that's who I am. Like I'm someone that's very passionate about the game and, and passionate about the club and they're the people that I now now spend my days with, um, hang around. So we're all we're all crazily passionate about about what we're doing. So it's it's almost like it's not surprising, it's almost like welcoming because you feel as though you're the, you're you're with the right people. <laughs> And then seeing someone like Pavel Florin, who you mentioned before, and uh, you know the the sudden celebrity he was able to acquire, and so much of it was about just the sheer enthusiasm. You know, it was people responding to his joyousness in in playing, no matter who he was playing for or, or where he was turning up. I suppose to 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 play a part in someone like him having that experience you know later in his life when he wasn't expecting to have it and then and then suddenly there's this these wonderful days are visited upon him almost out of nowhere yeah yeah no it's it's about love for what you do and and pride and and these things collide on on cricket fields all the time and and when you're able to be there and capture it pavel could write a book about that day pavel loves the game so much and very outgoing his captain decided to give him a bowl uh, at the end of that innings he, yeah, Pavel had no idea that when he bowled, then all of a sudden Fox was a bit anti, uh, <laughs> let's say that, and then Sky was pro that <laughs> that whole yeah, that that whole moment, and then he got off the ground, and I had the captain running over to me apologising. I'm so sorry, Daniel. I'm so sorry, but uh, I, I wanted to give him a bowl, and and um, I hope it didn't make your league look bad. And I said, no, not at all. You're the captain. You make your decisions on who bowls. And then Pavel was walking off the ground, had no idea about what had just happened in that match. And our commentator ran over to him and just said, Pavel, how do you, how do you feel? And, and that's when Pavel said, you know, how I play is, is not beautiful, but I love cricket and, and that's what's special to him. So, yeah, what, what we're doing is, is very raw, very authentic. It's grassroots and it's, it's, it's a little bit reality TV clashed with, clashed with sport. And, and that's where you get these completely unplanned, unknowable stories uh, that, that come out of nowhere. But they, they happen on, on a daily basis because of the people's backgrounds that are here. And the way that it's being seen as well, just, just go through that if you can. So, I mean, a lot of people would love to be all over Fox Cricket and other um, major platforms around the world, but could never dream of having that exposure. How did you engineer it in such a way that the European Cricket League was being viewed in? Was it 120 countries in season one? That That's staggering in its own, right? How did that come to pass? Um, 
yeah, a, a desire to invest in something of something that's beautiful, something that's authentic and perfect and classy and well done. I, I'm we're working with uh, so so after meeting Roger Finer, Frank and, and Thomas back in the in the previous story. I'm the founder. Uh, Roger is the CEO. Frank and Thomas are our board members. So UEFA needed to rebrand the Champions League back in 1989, and they were the guys responsible for that. And and Roger was head of broadcasting at FIFA for uh, for many years. So. They only do things at the at the top level, and they know how to how to make things look great on a production side, but distribution side as, as well. And um, it's definitely not easy, but we just gave the content away for free to any any taker that wanted to wanted to take it because it's not a yeah. If this is a business that's successful for the growth of the whole game, as I said, it's a twenty five year story. So in the early days, we need as many people as possible to see it. Um, so we say to all the broadcasters, can we? please give you the signal for free <laughs> so that you can take it and show it on your, on your platforms. And that's how we did it. And we worked with media partners in, in, uh, in Stockholm as well to just try and get the signal uh, to, to all in every corner. We, we had 40 million viewers last week of here, uh, of, 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 of this event, and uh, it'll be the same again this week and, and growing it from there. Yeah, we, we, we want to produce it with a, with a great quality um, of the TV signal, and then we want to give it away to as many broadcasters as possible so that they, sh they show it. And we want to be f free as often as we can because free TV is such a key to, to getting hopefully more people watching it that end up with children watching it, and, and that's hard in itself thanks to the algorithms and this live streaming that happens <laughs> in, in this world now. But... It's also because of T10, we're playing a funny sport where um, we're playing five matches a day. So it turns into an 11 hour live stream. And it's, it's hard for a TV channel to say what, like in our programming, how do we take 11 hours of, of content? So some, so some broadcasters will say, okay, the Spanish team's playing, let's take the Spanish match. And because it's T10, it's 90 minutes. You know, so so within an, within two hours, you've got an intro and an outro and and a, and a game of sport which is similar to football. Forty five minutes, ten minute break, and forty five minutes, and and that's a that that two hour bite sized sort of cricket match is where I think that the the future of the sport lies in something that's um, the same sort of length as football. Um, but yeah, on broad, for broadcasting, we want to give the signal away for free <laughs> any anywhere we can because we're making this investment now and in a strong way and and for the long term. So it can't be about trying to uh, yeah trying to sell things too early, too easy because it doesn't doesn't happen in this world um, with a new a new sporting property. But the IPL was on the YouTube for free for the first two years, if you remember as well. So it has to be done that way. Yeah. What's been the trajectory? You're in the, the second edition of the league now. What's been the trajectory from the first one in terms of the number of clubs that are involved, the number of countries involved, uh, players, the the audience? Um, how has that moved from first to second edition and where do you think it can go? Uh, so, so we had, I, I think this will be the, the second biggest cricket event on the planet after the IPL. I, I, I really do because here we've got, this is like the World Cup. It's a cultural collide of all countries coming together within Europe because Europe is so multicultural. Um, the time zone fits perfectly for the Indian Indian primetime audience as well. And um, and it's great, authentic, fast action action cricket. So I think in the, I might be dead, but it, but it, it'll take a long, long time to get that way. But I think it's got all the makings of a really special sport over here in a place where football ends and then there's not a lot and then football starts again, you know? So I think there's generally a space for, for a bat and ball team sport in Europe. And I want it to be the number one bat and ball team sport in, in, uh, in, in Europe um, in the longer term. We've now gone to 30 teams in, in this. So we had eight teams in the first 
now it's 30 teams from 29 countries. So the 29 countries plus one, which is the previous champions. So VOC Rotterdam from the Netherlands, they won ECL 19. So they get automatic qualification back. And then the champion uh, club from the other 29 countries come here. We're, we're doing it in group weeks. Uh, so there's six, six teams per group. So we've got five group weeks and then a finals week. So with, with this 144 matches of cricket from 30 teams in 29 countries, it's the world's biggest cricket event, but it's, it's still an unknown. <laughs> it's, it's still an unknown. There's not too many, yeah, there's only three more country, three or four more countries left in Europe that are ICC members that are not in the league. And I'd like to grow to, um, yeah, to continue to accommodate them as well. But as I say, the, the, from Prague, Prague Cricket Club are playing the champions of, of Scotland right now. And this has never been before seen. And it was a, I just saw on a scorecard here, it was a final over thriller. You know, so these things happen all the time. At Tunbridge Wells, they're the champion T20 club of England. In week one, they got beaten by Drew from Paris, right? Um, <laughs> Tunbridge Wells made 88 <laughs> off 10 overs. Drew made them in 19 balls. They got 82 in three overs. And one more ball <laughs> hit a six to, to win the game. So the, the cricket is on T10 cricket is on steroids, and and that's what people want to see. I, I I was playing. I love all forms of cricket. I love Test cricket, and I love T10. But T20 for me is a big block in the middle, which is nudge and nudge them around. And I think that that's actually detrimental to the to the game. Um, you want to see a power play, and you want to see a death bowling, and in T10 that's all you get power play in the death and and that's the that's the good bit um which, which i love as a player and as a watcher so t10 provides that it's an amazing story you're telling here i mean the very fact that you've got what is it three more weeks there uh, i feel like i should jump on a plane and come i'm inspired Please. by the, the, what, what you're telling us uh, at the moment and, and what it might be in, in the years to come just to finish where we started with germany i mean you must take a lot of pride in i know they didn't win uh, and progress through to the tournament in australia but the very fact that they were potentially two wins away from qualifying for a world cup from where you were and where this started that must rightly bring you immense pride and joy. Yeah, it does. Um, it, it sure, it sure does. The the German under nineteens team, uh, for example, they speak German. You know, their 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 team huddles are in German. Um, my uh, my son is a four year old. He's hitting balls. Um, we've got the foam balls, and and we don't call it cricket. We call it big shots. And I throw him the the foam balls, and he's with a mini bat whacking them around. It gives me a lot of pride to see Germany very close to a World Cup. I wonder why the, the, you know, I'd love to see a cricket World Cup the same size as a football World Cup as far as number of countries. Cause I, I can remember on a Thursday night watching, you know, Australia versus Zimbabwe in a, in a, in a cricket World Cup meant 15 years ago now and thinking, oh, this is going to be awesome because what could happen in this game? You know, minnows against minnows against heroes. I, I really love and I love an underdog. So when the, can you believe the Turkish champion uh, is going to play in the next game against the Italian champion? Yeah, what world are we living in to see Turkish cricket champion playing an Italian cricket champion? And we don't yes. know what's going to happen in this next match. In Spain. In, in, in <laughs> Spain. Um, and, and our friends from the Barmy Army were here yesterday and loving it going, this is unbelievable. Like this cricket that we've got here is so exciting. And Barmy Army obviously have been to every career ground on, on earth and they say, this is so special. You know, this is so, so special. So, um, yeah, Germany will. Yeah, for, for me, Germany will be in a World Cup, and and I hope that uh, the expansion of the World Cup means that they'll be in there faster than than we ever we ever imagined. Um, 
But when, uh, you know, the Drew Cricket Club here in, in, uh, from Paris, they only speak French, you know, and, and that's awesome. <laughs> the, the, the under 19 German team doing all their team, team talks in German, brilliant, you know. So for me, the, the children is the, not the, not, not the, not the current cricketers, but it's, it's the kids that excite me the most because they are, they're European children with a bat in the hand and a football around the feet. And, and, and I grew up in a world where you do both. And I'd love European uh, kids to grow up in a world when they do both as well, because the Don Bradman, the, the second Don Bradman, maybe they could have been uh, Spanish or French or something like that. But because that person never had a bat in the hand, we, you know, we, we never knew they existed, <laughs> you know, so yeah, this is a, yeah, a big generational story. We talk a lot on the final word about our passion for growing the game in all corners of the world, and you're absolutely doing that through the European Cricket Network and the European Cricket League. Daniel Weston, thank you so much for being such a fantastic guest, and more power to yeah, you. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Jeff. Anytime. Hi, my name's Kate Cross, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam and Jeff. Final word, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. Thanks again to. Daniel Weston, uh, what a great story, what a great guest. After we stopped recording, Jeff, he was telling us another little anecdote about the fact that he shipped in baggy caps for every single player in this 30-team tournament, uh, which means that there have been cap presentations for all of them. So he didn't want them wearing baseball caps. He wants them wearing proper cricket caps, you know, proper old-fashioned baggy. So, I mean, yes, it's T20 cricket. Yes, it's sort of pioneering new wave stuff. But there is a, that, that touch of class, that touch of traditional cricket to it as well, which I think we can all get behind. T10 cricket. Um, even in T10, you can wear a, a baggy cap. I, I think he said it was 56 kilograms of baggy caps that he carried back with him from <laughs> Sydney. You know, it's a bit like a case full of headphones when you're coming out of Peru or something. But, um, but they, didn't look, they didn't look too closely into them, uh, hopefully, as he was transiting through Singapore or whatever it was. But yeah, 50 kilos of, of baggy caps uh, handed out and so that there's that, that extra layer of meaning for those players when they can look back at what they've done. And we're also going to try and stream some of the games on the Final Word Facebook page. Now, I acknowledge that we are not particularly good at running our Instagram and our Facebook page. We try, but we are but two men and we have many commitments and, and sometimes social media isn't highest on our priority list. However, Dan has kindly said that he will share with us the embed link so that we can put some of these European Cricket League games uh, on our Facebook page. So if we do that, we'll alert you to it in the usual way on, on I suppose, on our Twitter accounts and, and uh, maybe on the Discord channel channel as well so yeah get stuck in this is uh, clearly uh, something that we uh, are keen to get behind over the months and years to come thanks to everybody on the discord page that means that they've signed up on patreon if you want to do that and get your nerd pledge number on the show patreon.com slash the final word you stand a very good chance of winning the brick lane giveaway as well uh, so why not there are, there are many many reasons to do it and few reasons not to this has been the final word cricket podcast jeff lemon adam collins uh, it's on the bad producer podcast network you can find their other shows online. You can also send a, a round of applause to Dave Collins, who edits the show uh, week in, week out. No matter how many times we do it, he's always there to edit it. Now, we have uh, story time coming up on the weekend. We've had some really good uh, eps of story time out over the last fortnight or so. We'll keep making them through the Pakistan tour. We leave for Pakistan next Monday. So what we're going to do for the weekly show is release a long feature interview. I won't say who with, uh, but it'll be a long interview 
after a short chat with Jeff and me before we jump on the plane. So one to look out for uh, in the feed next Tuesday or thereabouts. It is very, very exciting. I will tell you that. We were very excited. We still are very excited. And hopefully (laughs) you will be too when you find out. That's enough from us. Uh, We'll see you next time. Why not on the weekend? When story time comes around on the final word. So you know what I meant here. I had to go about it, write it out.